As they say in the bayou, les it a bon temps roule. Let the good times roll. LSU sits on the throne of college football. As they knock out the defending champs, an offensive onslaught, 628 yards. It's my honor to present the national championship trophy to Coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. Welcome in the latest edition of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. And this is going to be a solo podcast. Shane couldn't make it on this one. And this is a special edition of that SEC podcast. Because the LSU Tigers are your national champions. Go Tigers. Unfortunately, Shane couldn't be with us for this one. I didn't want to go much longer without recapping this game. Really apologize for delay. Just kind of some communication issues between Shane and myself. So not really been able to record a podcast and... By the time you listen to this, I'll actually be on vacation. I'm taking a week off, so this will be the only podcast this week. Shane actually just started a two-week vacation. Maybe reach out to Shane, let him know how much uh, you've been missing the show, missing hearing his beautiful voice there. I think he really kind of needs some support at the moment, so that's about all I can say about that one, kind of why we haven't had a show here about the LSU National Championships. Hopefully, we'll get him back on to get his thoughts on the Tigers, but uh, without further ado, let's get to the game. The LSU, by now, I know this is really late, but uh, LSU beats Clemson 42-25 in the national championship game. Just a couple of my quick thoughts on the game. You know, I was really, Shane and I both nailed this one. Not going to do too much bragging because it took to about damn near bowl season for us to predict a game right. So, not going to really... <laughs> take a victory lap on this one, but it did play out a lot the way we thought it would. LSU's defense stepped up big time. I don't think that could be overstated, you know, not taking away anything from Joe Burrow and all his receivers and how outstanding that offense has been all season. But I think at the end of the day, that LSU defense really stepped up towards the end of the season, really did a number on Georgia and Oklahoma and, of course, Clemson here. That was the difference for me, that and the red zone. That was a major factor going into this one. LSU, nation's, I believe, number two red zone scoring offense in terms of touchdowns. Clemson, number one in fewest touchdowns allowed in the red zone. Damn it, LSU nearly doubled the red zone touchdowns Clemson allowed all season just in the national championship game. That was the key to the game. Let's recap a little bit here because, yes, we got this one right, but... I was honestly, when Clemson jumped out to, well, even before they jumped out of their first lead, the LSU offense, for whatever reason, struggling a little bit out of the gate. That first play, 40-yard play, made uh, mostly by Joe Burrow, making stuff happen as he's done all season. But then they had an illegal man downfield. And I just kind of, I don't know, I guess I got a little bit concerned at that point. I was thinking, oh, here we go. I mean, this could be one of those games. Offense starting slow. That's what we need. It's coming back by penalty. A lot of teams that would have, you know, kind of hindered what they were able to do didn't even phase LSU a bit. Getting down 10 early in the game, that didn't phase them. And, if, you know, I, at this point, should have not been doubting LSU. They've just been a machine all season. I'm not a big one to get into this talk of, you know, best team of all time. I think that's really subjective. And 
those arguments are great because the matter of the fact is we can never really, we'll never know who's the best of all time. We can't match these teams up in their prime. So I just don't really get into those arguments. Not trying to take away from LSU, certainly one of the best teams of all time, but where I'd rank him, I mean, I don't know. I just don't really buy into much of that talk. Kicking back to the game, though, Jamar Chase, I mean, he was just damn unguardable in this game. Uh, once LSU found that that was the weakness in Clemson's secondary, nine catches for Chase, 221 yards, two touchdowns. Of course, he had the first touchdown for LSU of the day. And after you saw that, when Joe Burrow deep passed there towards the right side of the field, you just had a feeling that uh, LSU was getting into rhythm, getting into gear. And, man, kick it over to the other side, Trevor Lawrence. What the hell? I mean, outside of that game, of course, I don't watch a lot of Clemson, but, you know, he was outstanding in that Alabama game. And I'm starting to wonder if, you know, he just got his reputation after that one because, I mean, he didn't look like anything special here. I didn't think he looked that great against Ohio State either uh, outside of, you know, some big runs. That was the difference in the game there for Clemson. Trevor Lawrence using his legs, but... I don't know. Maybe we're seeing a little bit uh, too much hype around this kid. I don't know. He's certainly got a bright future. And as I said, Clemson led this one early, 17-7, 10-38 remaining in the second. And then LSU outscored Clemson 35-8 the rest of the way. Just gives you an idea how damn dominant this Tigers team was. My opinion, the play of the game, third and 10, 21 seconds left in the first half. Burrow runs 30 yards on Clemson, had no idea this was coming masterful play call here by Steve Anzminger Joe Brady whoever actually called it that led to a touchdown right before half Joe Burrow took the big shot there was speculation he broke a rib after the game he said uh, I believe he tore some cartilage in his rib that had to be incredibly incredibly painful I think we saw that in the early much like the beginning of the game the beginning of the third quarter LSU's offense out of sync but uh, whatever Joe Burrow did I mean, that started to wear off midway through the third quarter, and then they started rolling again. They were unstoppable. Thaddeus Moss, maybe the best game he's ever played of his life, saved it for the best best moment there, and uh, just outstanding. And let's kick it over after this one. LSU, your national championships, undefe- undefeated national champions, 15-0. and No matter what, no one's ever going to be able to take this season away from LSU Tiger fans across the world. I mean, soak it all in. You know, we'll get to some of their defections in a minute, but who who the hell cares? I mean, if your team can win a national championship, you can take the entire damn coaching staff, all the players. I think everybody would make that trade. And let's not kid ourselves. LSU is not going to be in the bottom of the SEC next year. They're going to still be there. They'll be fighting. They'll be reloading. I think they've reached a point where, you know, Ed Orgeron and company, losing coordinators, he'll find – coordinators you know just as good I mean at this time last year no one was singing the praises of Joe Brady so uh, let's uh, leave it up to Coach O to find some quality replacements but after this game let's kick it over to Coach O and Joe Burrow immediately down here on the field I just thought these uh, unfiltered comments these were outstanding Ed everything you've been through all it took to get here when you look up and you see that confetti fall what goes through you? So happy for our team. This is about our team. This is about our coaching staff. About everybody wanting to put one go in the great state of Louisiana. I'm just so happy for everybody. Down for the first time all season by double digits. You come back. What did you learn about this group tonight? Seventh win against a top ten team. Character, integrity, great players, great coaching staff. Will to win. 
Joe Burrow stood up on that Heisman stage and concluded his speech by talking about all you mean to him. Yeah. What does he mean to you? The world. Uh, he's one of the greatest players in LSU history. Uh, he's done so much for the state of Louisiana and LSU. We are so grateful to Joe Burrow. Finally, Ed, this team's motto, one team, one heartbeat. What does this night, this season mean to the heart of Louisiana from someone from here who represents it? That's what it's all about. Uh, I grew up wanting to be the head coach at LSU. I'm so proud for the state of Louisiana. We've had support from the governor, from the president, from everybody that loves LSU. I'm just so happy for the people from Louisiana. But you got to give the credit to this football team, man. They've been working for one year. They deserve this day. Go ahead and say it, Ed. Go tag it. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Joe, you said that winning the Heisman didn't mean much. It was this national championship game and bringing that title back to Baton Rouge. What does it mean to say that you've finally been able to accomplish that here in New Orleans? It's years of hard work paying off. This is, this is an incredible moment for our, for our program, for Baton Rouge, for Louisiana. Uh, this, is, this is just so special. I'm kind of speechless. You guys allowed Clemson to strike first, but you never flinched. Where did that confidence come from to know that you were going to get the win here tonight? Well, we thought we got down. I think it was 17-7. We never flinched. We knew we knew what we had. We we had some tough breaks getting backed up inside the five a couple of times. They had a really good plan early, and you know once we figured out what they were trying to do, our coaches put together a great game plan at halftime, and we started to roll. We saw you coming back early from halftime, but you took a big hit going into the locker room. What allowed you to battle through that injury? There's no other option. Uh, this is a national championship. This is, that's all. I wasn't going to go sit on the sideline, that's for sure. You know, coming into this season, your dad retired to watch every single game, and he's been in the stadium celebrating with you. What does it mean to be able to win this national championship in front of him? You know, there's my dad won a great cup in Canada, but there was kind of this, this burrow curse. My brother lost the national championship. My dad lost a couple of great cups. I lost a state championship. Both my brothers lost state championships. So this is this is kind of our first one. So this is super special. Well, I see you haven't put the ball down. And after you threw your fifth touchdown pass, we set a record for national championships. You pointed to the ring finger. Do you know what size ring you wear? Ten and a half. <laughs> <laughs> we already got fitted for them. All right. Well, it'll be coming soon. Congratulations, Joe. Thank you. All right, so there you have it from LSU, the latest national champion from the SEC. The SEC finishes bowl season 8-2. and two. I mean, just complete dominance. Yeah, here we go. One other Power 5 conference finished over 500. That was the Pac-12 at 4-3. and three. Big 10 finishes bowl season 4-5. and five. ACC finishes 4-7. and seven. And the Big 12, 1-5 for bowl season. I mean, is there any question at this point? People challenge the SEC, but here we go. 8-2, and two, bowl record. That uh, is one of the best I've ever seen. How about this? National titles the last 22 years, which dates back to the beginning of the BCS and, of course, the college football playoff. Out of 22 years, the SEC won the national championship 12 times. ACC, 4, and that's Clemson and Florida State, just two teams there. Big 10s won 2. Big 12s won 2. Pac 12s won 1. And the Big East, used to not even a conference anymore, <laughs> they won one. So uh, that's just further evidence of the SEC's dominance. How about this? 2020 National Championship odds. This came out immediately after LSU's National Championship victory per sportsbetting.ag. Alabama opens as the favorite, 7-2 to two favorites. 
in the SEC to win the national championship in 2020. LSU right behind them at 6-1. Georgia third at 8-1. Florida 14-1. Auburn 20-1. Texas A&M 40-1. Tennessee 66-1. And finally, Kentucky 100-1. Those are the only teams from the SEC listed by sportsbetting.ag for the 2020 national championship. Just wanted to throw those out, give you something to think about. Now, all this LSU talk, they deserve all of it. If I'm an LSU fan, I'm wearing that damn national championship shirt every day this offseason. I mean, live it up while you got it. Crowning achievement there. One of the best seasons of all time, particularly in the SEC. No one can ever take that away from you. But you got a lot. <laughs> we got to get to this, of course. They're going to have a lot of reloading to do. Because started with Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator, there was, uh, I believe it was Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated reported that uh, Joe Brady had agreed to an extension, but of course left it in his contract. He could leave for the NFL. That's exactly what happened. Matt Rule takes over at Carolina Panthers. He hires Joe Brady the day after the national championship to be his offensive coordinator. Just think about that for a minute. The rise of this guy, like I said, two years ago, well, hell, one year ago, Saint, assistant to the assistant. Nobody outside of deep coaching circles knows this guy's name. Hell, he's going lo- to be younger than a lot of the players on the Panthers, I would imagine. And here he is two years later, won the Broyles Award, won the national championship. A lot of people credit him for LSU's offensive success. Certainly played a huge role in it, but uh, I'm not ready to give him all the credit. They had a hell of a team and one of the best quarterback seasons of all time. And Steve Ensminger. Oh, he's, a, he's an outstanding offensive coordinator, so we've got to give all these guys and Coach O some credit for all that. But that's a massive blow. Make no mistake, I think Coach O will find uh, his next guy and maybe someone there on staff, so watch out for that. And then, of course, Dave Aranda, defensive coordinator. Ba- Matt Rule's leaving Baylor hurts LSU yet again in a weird way because the defensive coordinator has taken the head coaching job there at Baylor. That'll be an interesting one. I think uh, – you know, I don't think that's much of a surprise. I think Dave Aranda did all he could do at Baton Rouge. You hire a defensive coordinator, you make him the highest paid coordinator in the nation, and he delivers you a national championship. I think you got to be happy for him, let him go on his way. And that's the thing. That's what LSU needs to become, a place where you're the best coordinator in the nation. Come to LSU, you know, win us an SEC, win us a national championship, get yourself a head job. That's the way you got to look at it. If you're Coach O, you're selling to these coaches immediately after the national championship game. He was in Nashville here for, for anyone that doesn't know, they have a uh, annual coaches conference where, you know, it's a dead period. There's nothing going on in the season outside of the national champions. So a lot of these college coaches don't have a lot of downtime in the year. But this was, uh, well, well, it's not now, but it was last week where they had a little bit of a downtime. They all congregate here in Nashville and looking for jobs and meeting and just trading information and what have you. So Coach O was up there. You better believe he was asking anybody and everybody their thoughts on, you know, who he should be hiring and all this. So uh, he's going to find out some good replacements here for Joe Brady and Dave Aranda. There may be some people on his staff, so we'll have to see about that. I'm a big guy. I've always has been. If you listen to this podcast, you know, I'm a much bigger believer you know, all due respect to all these coaches because they do a hell of a job. But I think it's all about the players more so than the coaching. And that's another key area for LSU. 
It's been a damn mass exodus here. We already know all the seniors like Joe Burrow leaving, but here we got a number of players declaring early for the 2020 NFL Draft. Started with Grant Delpit, the Thorpe Award winner. He's gone. Receiver Justin Jefferson, who had that incredible game in the semifinal there against Oklahoma. He's gone. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Shane just broke his heart there, the Clydesdale. Off to bigger and better in the NFL. Center Lloyd Cushenberry, number 18 for the offense. He's off to the NFL. Linebackers Jacob Phillips, Patrick Queen, both declared early. Left tackle Sadiq Charles, he's off to the NFL. Uh, outside linebacker Calavon Chasson, the other number 18 for LSU, he's off the NFL early. And finally, Thaddeus Moss, who, like I said, he, I think he had his best game ever in the national championship game. He was really starting to heat up. He has declared for the NFL draft early. So a lot of pieces there for LSU to replace next season on the roster and on the coaching front. So be really interesting. LSU is going to be one of the most interesting teams next season kind of clueless on what they're going to be doing until we know who steps up in these roles. But it's not all bad news for LSU because Jacoby Stevens is coming back, Tyler Shelvin, Kerry Vincent, Glenn Logan, Austin Deculus, all these guys kind of question marks whether they would return or not. They're all coming back. Looks like Jacoby Stevens may be next season's number 18 for that defense. Look for that. That was something that was kind of hinted at by Jacob Hester at uh, – LSU's national championship parade there over the weekend. So uh, I think Stevens is a good bet to wear number 18 for LSU. He's going to have to earn it, but it's looking that way. So a lot of LSU talk, but they deserve it there. National champions, I mean, it wasn't even close. I thought one of the more interesting things, uh, and this was said by Jacob Hester during the uh, national championship parade as well, but outside of that Texas game where they, they didn't even have to come back, it was just like, LSU had the ball, but they were leading by less than a touchdown late in the game. And that's kind of when we saw the seeds of this offense where LSU didn't get conservative like we thought they would, pushed the ball downfield, had a big touchdown. But outside of that, I mean, I'm trying to think of a time LSU was tested. <laughs> I mean, Alabama, they certainly tested them. Final scores, only five-point win there. But did that really feel like a game? It didn't to me. I mean, once LSU jumped out to that huge – lead there at halftime it it just felt like they were going to steamroll Alabama Alabama you know had a strong second half showing but the Auburn game a little bit but uh, that final score was deceiving because they scored a touchdown there at the very end to make it look a lot closer than it actually was Auburn did do an outstanding job you know limiting LSU's offense got to give them credit for that there was there have been players like Lloyd Cushenberry has since said after the season Auburn gave them their toughest test so Credit to Gus Malzahn's crew for that one, but man, this is just a historic season and something we may never see again, so all the credit in the world to LSU for that one. There's a lot been going on here. I'm actually, uh, I've got a plane to catch here in just a little bit, so I don't have a ton of time here. We're going to get into a lot of these news as soon as I get back. Remember, this is going to be uh, the only podcast this week, I promise, and Shane's going to be out for... I promise we'll have more content as soon as I get back. Just really wanted to leave you guys with something. You know, I'm going to piss some people off here, but I want to do my early, early SEC Media Days ballot. Going to reveal that here. Now, this is subject to change. I'll I'll be honest with you. Just wanted to give you, you know, something we can discuss here in the the off our off week and uh, 
there's been some moves made at Georgia. They've even following the court, the hire of offensive coordinator Todd Bolkin. That really changed my opinion of a lot of what they're going to do, studying Jamie Newman. I have finished the breakdown. Look for that to come out soon on Saturday Down South. As soon as that hits, I'm going to do the uh, Jamie Newman podcast that I promised where I break down all his film. And I, I really think I you really need to have access to these videos to kind of really see what I'm talking about with him. But uh, those two additions really... I know Georgia's lost a lot, but hell, they got a lot coming back too. So uh, without further ado here, right now, and of course, like I said, subject to change because things are going to happen. This is not the way I'm going to actually be voting it because I, I would be wrong to just cast this vote in damn January. But here's where I see things playing out right now. Let's stay in the SEC East right there. I had Florida number one until Munkin got hired, until I studied this Jamie Newman Kind of a, you know, I gave already my initial impressions a little bit, but I'm not saying this guy's like a world beater. I don't think he's going to be All-American or anything like that, but I think he's the perfect piece at quarterback that they need to kind of change their system offensively, kind of go with what Todd Munkin's going to push the ball down the field more. You know, this could be Joe Brady for LSU. I don't I don't really want to put Munkin in that class, but uh, he, he is a hell of a coach there. He's really changed the fortunes of some college teams. And uh, I know his NFL tenure may have not gone as well as he liked, but uh, it's not like they're, they were running him out of town there. And there have been a – I've seen a lot of people kind of question that. Well, hell, this guy got – he's not on the NFL. I mean – I mean, think about what you're saying when you're saying that a guy coached in the NFL for five seasons and now he sucks. Like, I, I think you need to <laughs> look at yourself when you're saying something like that. If you think of all the coaching coaches in the world, high school, college, I mean, how many of those guys advanced to the NFL at all? I mean, it's got to be a small percentage. And we're talking a guy that named offensive coordinator twice in the NFL. This guy is not going to be you know, outsmarted on the field at the college level. I don't care what you think about him. And now every time he goes out there, Georgia's going to have better athletes than just about anybody they face outside of maybe an Alabama or a Clemson next season. Georgia's going to be right there. Florida will be with him, certainly. But I just think that makes all the difference in the world. So I'm going Georgia right now, number one, to win the East. Florida, I got number two, too much momentum to ignore there for Dan Mullen's program. I really love Kyle Trask. I think he's going to be the SEC's best quarterback next season. Already had him as the best in the East last season. I thought he was that good. Tennessee, number three, a lot of momentum there. And, you know, honestly, I don't bag on Jarrett Garantano like a lot of people do because I've seen flashes of greatness from him. Also seen tons of flashes of inconsistency. And if he were a little bit more consistent, I'd actually put Tennessee probably number two, maybe even number one, because I think the direction of what Jeremy Pruitt's building there, the defense has been outstanding. I think it's just going to continue in that direction. And, uh, you know, how many guys did we see this season? A lot of unheralded guys step up, play their best football ever under Jeremy Pruitt. And I just think that's going to continue. They're going to be even better next season. So it could be a three-man race there in the SEC East. Tennessee gets Florida at home. They get Georgia late in the season. This is the first year where it's kind of flip-flops. So we'll see how that plays out. Number four, I got Kentucky. Love what Kentucky's doing there under Mark Stoops. The line of scrimmage is going to be outstanding. They're going to have a three-headed monster at running back. My biggest question for them right now is quarterback, obviously, because with Lynn Bowden gone, 
Are you going to do the same thing they were doing last year? I mean, it's going to be a little bit different. It has to be. Terry Wilson, can he come back? Joey Gatewood, is he going to be eligible? I don't know, but uh, he's trying. So that's going to be something to watch there. I think Kentucky certainly can move up these rankings, particularly if the defense gets better, which I think it will. They lost a lot last offseason. So Kentucky, a team to watch. South Carolina, I got them number five. I think that just tells you how damn good this SEC East is going to be next year. South Carolina certainly struggled at times last year, but I love this addition of Mike Bobo. How soon, though, can this system be implemented? I mean, Will Muschamp's betting on it being implemented immediately. If it does, I mean, South Carolina can make a big jump, particularly if Ryan Holinsky comes back 100%. I think uh, yeah, he was basically injured, I don't want to say the whole season, but I think from the Alabama game on, he was kind of limited, and they kind of kept that information, you know, that you don't want to give your opponent – tip him off or anything. So if Halinski is 100%, buys into the system, Gamecocks could be a very, very dangerous team. I think uh, the defense there under Will Muschamp and, and company is going to be pretty solid. Number six, I got Missouri in the SECs. Number six, Eli Drinkwitz. A lot of unknowns with the Tigers for me. I mean, I've got faith in this guy's his offensive system, but don't even know who the quarterback's going to be. You know, they're young freshmen towards... I think it was his ACL or something like that in the last game. So how soon is he going to be out there testing it? I don't know. It's going to be That's going to be interesting. I think this could be one where Missouri fans are certainly going to be patient. I think they're to give, they need to give him at least two, three years to kind of see what he's got, what he can do with the program. Vanderbilt, number seven. I don't know if you guys missed it, but they've had all four, the top four quarterbacks of their depth chart gone, switching both coordinators, which I think they're making some good moves there, but – it's often unrealistic, particularly at a developmental program, to kind of throw in two new coordinators and expect you know, the players to just kind of absorb that information and, and showcase it on the field. So Derek Mason on a hot seat. Had he not been extended, he's probably gone. So uh, he may be out this time next year, but uh, that's one to watch. Let's kick it over to the SEC West. I got Alabama, number one. I know that's uh, Georgia, Alabama. Oh, my God. Really going out on a limb here, but... You know, I think they'll be motivated. Um, my biggest question for me, and this is kind of crazy to say, but is uh, Nick Saban's defense. Because, I mean, say what you want. You can blame it on injuries, blame it on this, blame it on that. Last two seasons, not been the same program. You know, ever since Jeremy Pruitt left, that defense has taken a huge step back. And I know they're bringing a lot of guys back. So they that's got to be the strength of this team next season given the fact that uh, they're losing a lot of players. Najee Harris, of course, is coming back, so he's probably going to be the focus of that offense. But Steve Sarkeesian remains the offensive coordinator, so we'll see if they kind of continue to air it out. I don't expect Mac Jones is going to be you know, putting up 50 touchdowns or anything. I'm, not that he's not capable, but I just think this team, Saban in the offseason, maybe at, you know, they tone it down a little bit. Defense, running the ball. They got weapons on the outside to push it down the field. Certainly, they're not going to go ultra-conservative by any means, but I just don't think it's going to be the same attack. They've got a little bit tougher schedule this year. They play Georgia early in the year, so that'll be something to see. Number two in the SEC West, Texas A&M. I'm jumping on the bandwagon, trying to build the bandwagon. Hell, number two in the SEC West. I would put Texas A&M number one if I saw a little bit more from them this year. I don't know if they can make that big of a leap just yet, but I think they're going to be in contention. Uh, got Kellen Mond coming back. I know he takes a lot of heat for 
not really taking that next step. But look at the pieces around him. I mean, the offensive line are struggling all season. I think that'll be a much stronger unit next season. They couldn't even run the ball for much of the year. Now they've really got some really good young talent around him to help out with like the likes of Isaiah Spiller, Jalen Watermeyer, Jamon Osmond's coming back. I mean, I just really think that this will be the year we see all the pieces kind of come together for Jimbo Fisher's program. His Aggies going to be one to watch, stacking another top 10 recruiting class on top of the previous one they got. I like their talent. I like their depth. And most importantly, Clemson off the schedule, Georgia off the schedule, LSU at home. I think that's the difference for the Aggies next season. We're going to finally see the Aggies take that big step up and contend for the SEC in 2020. All right, number three, LSU Tigers. Got a lot to replace, obviously. Uh, a lot of unknowns, even in the coaching staff. So I, I don't think this is going to be a. I'm not saying they're going to go, you know, seven and five, eight and four, or anything like that. But I think it's just going to be too many unknowns at this point for me to put them any higher than number three. Looking ahead to 2020, Miles Brennan, does he live up to the hype? If he's Hell, he may be the next Joe Burrow. If he is, LSU could jump right up this list. But I'm not ready to put him on that that pedestal just yet. All right, here's where things get hairy for me. This is going to be tough. But number four, Mississippi State. Mike Leach, I think he's that good of a coach. He's very unconventional. I don't even – I've already – I've said it on this podcast, and people – I don't think they really understand what I'm saying here. But I'm not – buying necessarily that Garrett Schrader is even going to be his quarterback, but I'm still willing to put Mississippi State this high on the list. I think this is going to be the most talent he's ever had to work with. He's got a lot to prove. He's going to bring it in his system. It sounds like they're interested in the graduate transfer quarterback from Boston College. That may be their guy next season. Who knows? I think uh, Maiden also kind of fits a lot more what Mike Leach wants to do. So, Keep an eye out on him. And, hell, maybe it is Garrett Schrader, but I could be completely wrong. I'm seems like I'm wrong about half the time anyway. So, hopefully it is the bearded Schrader if you're a big fan of that guy. But either way, I think Mississippi State, they got a lot to prove. They're going to, with the right coach there, someone that can really buy in, out-scheme people. Mike Leach consistently beats people. He's not supposed to do it. He's been doing it for damn near 20 years. I like that to happen immediately next season of Mississippi State. That's kind of my boldest one there. Number five, Auburn. Now, Gus Malzahn's going to have a lot of heat on his seat if they fall all the way down to number five. But I just feel like they wasted so much talent on that defensive side of the ball. A lot of that's gone this year. I mean, we're talking Big Cat Bryant may be their best defensive lineman. And, I mean, he was mostly a reserve. Uh, now they got players leaving in the secondary. I mean, the linebackers should be the strength of that defense, but I don't know. I don't think that's the way you really go about building a defense. And now it looks like Bo Nix and company. I still got a lot of faith in Bo Nix, but he's really got to take a step up. It's This has got to be an offensive-led team, and they're completely reworking that offensive line. That is a huge, huge red flag for me. They're going to be relying on a lot of junior college talent to get that done. I just don't like it. I can't remember the last time, maybe 2017, where Gus Malzahn's offense was really something to behold, and I feel bad for Gus. I'm not I'm not trying to pick on him or Auburn or anything here, but that's the way I see it, and it's going to be a tough one there on the plains, in my opinion. Number six, Ole Miss. I know everyone, uh, they're fired up Lane Kiffin era, but at the end of the day, I mean, same thing I said with LSU to start the show. 
I'm a bigger believer in players matter more than the coaches. And I don't know. I just don't know how basically an entire new coaching staff, how are these players going to adjust to that once they were, it looked to me like they were buying in of Mike McIntyre, Rich Rodriguez going in that direction. Now they're doing a complete 180 on both sides of the ball. That's going to be tough, really tough to ask next season. And they got Florida out of the East. That's that's not helping matters. Thankfully, they got Vanderbilt on the other side, so they'll definitely get an SEC win there. Arkansas, of course, on the on their list too. So, Ole Miss. Hopefully, they shock some people, make me look like a damn fool here. But that's where I've got. I like the direction of Lane Kiffin's program for sure. But until we know what they're going to do at quarterback, what they're going to do with John Rice Plumley, one of my favorite players in the SEC, seems like a lot of people don't even think he's going to stay at quarterback. I think that would be a huge mistake. I think he could be the SEC's best quarterback if he can uh, become a little bit more consistent with the passing game. And if if he does, hell, Ole Miss may be skyrocketing up this chart. And last but not least, Arkansas, number seven. Again, like what they're doing. I love what they're doing, actually, with the coaching staff. But, again, the players matter more than the coaches, in my opinion. And they just got too many holes, particularly on the line of scrimmage. I don't know how competitive they're going to be there. Hell, they got Sam Pittman running the show, though, so you know the offensive line is going to take a leap. But how big of a leap can they make with uh, without some five-star linemen on the roster? I mean, that's going to be the question for me heading into next season. So I think Arkansas can do a lot better. It sounds like, and I hope I'm, by the time this comes out, I hope this is official, but it sounds like they've added Felipe Frank. So... Yeah, that could be their signal caller next season. Of course, he's coming off injury, so I don't think they're just – I doubt they told him he's just day one start. He's going to have to earn it. But uh, that's got to be, you know, a positive sign there, getting some depth, some SEC experience too at the quarterback position. So that's looking like the Razorbacks starter next season under center, most likely maybe K.J. Jefferson. I still think uh, you don't rule him out, but that's something to consider. So the future bright at Arkansas, but I'm just not ready to buy in to say they're – Ready to climb that ladder yet. Of course, once again, hell, I'm doing this in January. Things are going to change a lot. You know, we we haven't even seen what these teams can do in the spring. So hopefully uh, each and every one of them makes me, uh, if I picked your team at the bottom, hopefully I'm wrong. I picked you at the top. Hopefully I'm right. So uh, we'll see. And like I said, this is going to be the only show this week. I'm on vacation. I will be coming back the following week. Sorry for the long delay here on uh, recap in the LSU National Championship game win. Do apologize for that. It's kind of um, miscommunication on our end over here. So, And Shane will be back in two weeks. He's, I don't know who takes a week off before a two-week vacation, but that's your man right there. So hit him up. Let him know you're missing, the, you're missing him, missing the show. Maybe give him some encouragement. I think he needs that at this time. But that's going to do it for this one. And thanks for joining me. As always, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one.